Thanks, big voice guy. I'm Michelle Mendoza. Welcome to News and Views Thursday. Today, we're going to be talking a bit about the state of Israel. There's a lot of interesting news. We don't often hear about it because we're too concerned with the cat in the hat and if he's racist or not, along with Dr. Seuss and Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, we're not really always paying attention to what's happening on the world stage and how it may affect us. So hang on, pack your bags, or don't pack your bags, because we're going to be doing it virtually, taking you to Israel and finding some information that's going on both there, how it affects us, and even from the world of faith, some dangerous territories that we are entering in. We'll be joined with a view from Jerusalem, from our own Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. All right. So they say that, in fact, the Jerusalem Post reported that Israel may be on a collision course with President Biden and his administration. At least it was an opinion piece. Uh, There is concern, worries by Biden and allies in Europe that Israel is preparing a substantial attack on Iran. In fact, there is a lot of positioning going on. Just today, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke with Vice President Harris about the pandemic, the Iranian nuclear program, the International Criminal Court's decision to open up an investigation into Israel. Lots going on on the table. Harris is kind of acting as though we're going to renew the good camaraderie between ourselves and Israel. Netanyahu's office said that Harris expressed the total opposition of the American administration to the decision by the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court And that's kind of interesting. You never really know. See, the chief prosecutor at the International Criminal Court, ICC, has announced these plans that they are going to investigate alleged war crimes by Israel in the Palestinian territory. That is an issue that has grown and grown. And we're going to talk about a strange Christian response to this very idea. But while a lot of people are focusing on how evil Israel is, we're not looking at the entire story and we're not looking past the own social media posts to the deeper story. We're also not seeing some of the other strange things that are happening. It's reported that Iran intentionally polluted the Mediterranean Sea and Israel's shores in an act of what's being called ecological terrorism. It caused a pretty massive environmental disaster. In fact, the greatest in Israel's history. Okay, so what happened? Well, according to the Environmental Protection Ministry in Israel, a big ship leaked crude oil. This ship called the Emerald was owned by 
a Libyan company and sailed from Iran to Syria. It leaked this crude oil. I mean, a massive leak. We're really not hearing about this on a big scale. And you really think about that. Uh, how How does that relate to me? How does that affect me in the United States? Well, as we uh, shut down the Keystone Pipeline, as we shut down and try to diminish oil production here, even, and you know, and we talked about environmental things on Tuesday's show, go back and listen. Uh, Even as we try to wing ourselves off of maybe oils and such and go to cleaner energy uh, and switch gears, fine. But in the meantime, if we don't have a reliance closer to home, we have less ability to monitor it. Look at what's happened here in this environmental disaster. Uh, If we weren't funding it, if we're not funding it by buying oil from them, uh, do we have less culpability? It's just a thought. But this is part of what's happening on the world stage that we don't often pay attention to because, well, we're so focused, again, on some of the silliness that's going on in the world around us. Uh, Israel is indeed coming under some fire. And I think you're going to find this interesting as we take a look at what's happening in Israel, how it affects people of faith, and how it may affect you with A View from Jerusalem. And now, A View from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. Talking about Israel, there's a lot that we don't know. And what we do know, well, sometimes comes to us from, well, strange means. It's become actually quite chic, did you know, to be a critic of Israel, to call out cruelty, discrimination, champion Palestine, and stand in outrage against a country, a country not much bigger than New Jersey, surrounded by much bigger countries who really want to wipe them off the map. But that's that's a side note. Bernie Sanders, for example, became unglued, slamming Israel in response to a media blitz, claiming that Israel's vaccination donations to faraway countries, uh, some allies, have angered Palestinians because they're suffering and getting nothing. Uh, Saturday Night Live's Michael Shea had said that Israel's only vaccinating its Jewish half. And I was thinking maybe the grumpy would-be president was up too late watching SNL instead of researching the facts. The Israeli government has already sent thousands of doses of the coronavirus vaccine uh, to the Palestinian Authority and even facilitated the entry of Russian donations of their Sputnik V vaccinations. But we're not hearing that. Joe Biden took until about a week ago to even contact Israel's Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Uh, NBC News predicted the relationship for the next few years, kind of like the weather, frosty. So the demonization of Israel and the Jewish people for that matter, nothing new, right? But when it comes from the Christian world, it's in its ugliest form. And that's why we're going to look deeper today for the real God story. uh, We're going to play some sound bites. We're going to take it on. And uh, maybe not a coincidence that this conversation is coming 
during Purim, one of the most Hollywood-worthy stories of biblical history. One woman, yeah, I said a woman, changes the fate of an entire people and saves them from the very kind of mindset that I have just been talking about. Let's take it on with A View from Jerusalem. And now, A View from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. That's right, Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. He is, um, he's with the Simon Wiesenthal Center for Interfaith Affairs, which uh, right now, Interfaith Affairs is coming into play. And I do think it has a... a an awful lot of likeness to some of the story from Purim. So we'll take a bunch of that on. But first, let me welcome our rabbi. It's very good to have you on again, rabbi. It's, it's great to, to be on with you. Uh, this is the one day a year when some Jews, not all, are, uh, in, are given to drinking more than their usual amount. <laughs> And uh, I'm glad that I could be on the program while I'm still sober. <laughs> me too. Me too. Although it could be entertaining. I'm not going to lie. Uh, <laughs> let's talk a bit, a briefly about Purim and, and what it is, because I do think, and, and if you agree with me, it does set the stage for a bit of what we're talking about today. Sure. It, it, um, it sort of puts the whole issue of anti-Semitism in a in, in in a biblical framework, it, the the part of the of the storyline is uh, one guy who rises to power and is incensed by the fact that one solitary Jew refuses to bow down to him as a kind of deity. Uh, says, "Well, I don't like this Jew, so I'm going to kill the entire people." throughout the realm, 127 different provinces, I'm going to get them all. And if, if that doesn't sound familiar, the idea of holding an entire people accountable for, uh, for something that you don't like and committed to the idea of genocide, uh, I, I don't know what better example there could be of that. Uh, according to Jewish tradition, when Haman, the villain here, is called an Agagite, it means that he was somehow the descendant of the king of Amalek that was spared by King Saul when he almost accomplished the biblical mandate of, of forever suppressing that evil nation. Failing to do it, they, uh, they multiplied, Haman rose to power, and in an extraordinary set of what non-believers would say, eh, coincidences, everything that he planned was turned wound up swinging from the end of a rope, uh, rather than, than Mordecai, uh, who he was really after along with an entire people. Um, but with that introduction, if you'll give me a, a second, longer, um, lots of us take a look at a story like that and say, okay, Adlerson explained the story. That's sort of like what I heard, and especially the role of Queen Esther, uh, a, a Jewish woman who somehow made it past the selection process and became the favorite of, 
of uh, her not too bright husband, who was the who was the king. She intervened on behalf of uh, of her people, risking her own life in the process, and um, sparing her people. So that's the way people remember it. But those of us who take the Bible seriously can't, shouldn't get by with these instant summaries like the. Uh, the um, the cliff notes we used to use in high school, so we didn't have to read the whole book and could still pass the exam on some uh, English lit test. Um, we we hold every bit of the Bible to be to be important and holy. And if you read the story in its original, there's this refrain that keeps on coming up. It says, "Whatever the king decrees," and then puts his signet ring to it, cannot, cannot, not even by the king, ever be rescinded. So even after Esther outs uh, Haman, the, the Jews should still be doomed because the edict had, in fact, been uh, okayed by the king and uh, Uh, impressed with his signet ring, specifying a particular day that was today, the 13th of the month of Adar, as the day that the Jews were supposed to be exterminated. So if a few months before, Haman uh, is, is ousted from power, that doesn't change the fact that the king had declared open season on the Jews and said they should all be exterminated on this one day. How did that ever get solved? You don't find an explicit answer to that in the text, but it's a glaring question that has to be answered. So the answer I propose to you is one that you find in, a, in, in, in some of the commentaries, which is that it's true. He could not rescind that, um, that decree. But what he did, what the king did, was to issue another decree. That decree said, hmm, Jews have a right to defend themselves against all who rise up against them. What that did was to create such a conflict between the two edicts that a sane person would say, You know, there's been a change of heart in the government. The king now likes the Jews. And maybe prudence would dictate that we should not take part in the killing festivities. The only people who didn't get that message were people who were so consumed with hatred that they would risk their lives in order to try to exterminate a people. To me, that's the real lesson here. What, what happened what, in the end was a bloodbath, but it was a defensive, not an offensive bloodbath. Jews were ready on the 13th of Adar to repel any and all attacks against them, knowing that those attacks would only come from the worst haters in the realm. And that's precisely what happened. But even the king, when he asked Esther, 
what's the body count? And she said, well, I, I, you know, I, I didn't get the, the mail-in ballots from the distant, uh, from, from Pennsylvania yet. I can just tell you in the Royal city, it was, it was 500. And, and he's 500. Really? Oi! <laughs> I thought that, you know, like closer to home, nobody would be stupid enough to, 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 to try to rise up against you. I imagine, imagine what, it, what it was further, further away. And that, and that in fact was the case. The king himself couldn't believe, not that he was a great friend of the Jews, but he couldn't believe that so many people would stick their necks out in the name of hatred. And that has been the story ever since. Not only to Jews, although we're usually the first ones out there who are vulnerable, but hatred consumes people. It, 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 causes them to ruin their lives and those of their families and, 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 and nation often. Uh, we, we can still speculate as to whether Hitler, who we also see as uh, part of the Amalek line, if he would have lost the war had he not taken so many soldiers and so much materiel and so many railroad trains away from support of his frontline troops in World War II because he was consumed by the hatred of the Jews and committed all those resources to burning them in, in, in the crematory in Auschwitz-Birkenau. So this is, this is something, it hasn't changed since then. It's the, the power of hatred when it's not modified, when it's not held in check. Lots of us learn how to hate, but we can learn to unhate with the with the, 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 with the word of God, a God of love. I would say amen to that. We have, as you're listening uh, in America, we have short memories. Um, our history goes back only so far. Then travel to Europe, and their history, history goes back so much farther. Then travel to Israel, and it's an ancient history. And in thinking about history, instead of erasing history or toppling it down, we can remember and learn from history. What I'm learning today is it is still uh, the status quo and chic to, to hate. And in particular, focusing on Israel, but recently it came from a pretty disturbing source. The World Council of Churches, um, it boast maybe 5 million Christian affiliates and most Protestant um, mainline denominations. They claim, well, okay, they, they do. They claim 500 million. 500 million. Okay, okay, okay. 500 million. They have had, though, a pretty long-standing, I even want to get into some of the history of this, a pretty long-standing uh, criticizing of Israel, calling for economic measures like divestments, uh, boycotts, sanctions. But recently, Dr. Reverend Chicane, who's a cleric pretty high up in the council, likened Israel, well, <laughs> to demons. Now, I can't play the entire soundbite, but I do have about a two-minute clip, if you'll allow me, Rabbi. Sure. Here we go. I would like to thank the Lord for the pat patriarch Michel Sabah and the director and producer of this film. Let me just say in the short space of time I have, 
that all the time I listen to the story of Palestine, I'm convinced and I'm going to use a hard language. I'm convinced that they are dealing with the same demons we dealt with in South Africa. Mm, except that, except that in their case, the demons have invited many other demons to make their struggle much more difficult and permanently robbing them of their rights. What I think we need to do is to defeat this seemingly invincible force or forces which must, which must together produce our deal of the century. It means we must produce our deal of the century, which is based on just, just peace for both Palestinians and Israelis. Everybody can have peace there, which is just. We must oh. get to Europe, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters, to say to them, you know, the, the sins of the past which were committed against the Jews must not be used as a way and reason to allow more sins to be committed. Now, I, I apologize. Disaster at that point. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that is a, was a rather long soundbite, and uh, I could not fit everything that was said in, but I think it kind of sets the stage. Uh, I, you wrote a pretty powerful op-ed in treating Christians to stand against this kind of hate. But uh, if we could, before we get to where we go from here and what we should do, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the history of the World Council of Churches. Um, some of their... Uh, some of their... not It, it goes beyond criticism, but standing against... Uh, Israel goes back to even 1948 with the st establishment of the Jewish state. They didn't even support that. Correct. Um, and they, they actually said that, you know, this could be pretty problematic for Jews because, you know, if they're successful in establishing their state, that's going to produce a lot of anti-Semitism. So, you know, you know what's told, that's that's really troubling, and it's so it, it it harkens to something we're experiencing in our country right now in the racism area. We have a lot of white uh, saviors that are coming in and saying, "Well, as a black person, you need this, and as a black person, uh, it's it, it's unfair for you to have to adhere to the rules of math." And as a black person, as though or our our president's uh, embarrassingly saying that you know a lot of blacks and um, and uh, Hispanics don't know how to use the internet. You know, it's this white savior complex, well-meaning maybe, but kind of weird. So it harkens to something that we can relate to here in America, Rabbi. Yeah, uh, for sure. No, but that's not the, the only thing. I mean, they've, they've been on this line for many years since 1948. Right. So it's really in two parts. One is that they have never, ever come to the real defense of Israel, except in very, very tepid manner. They didn't, they didn't react 
harshly when Israel in 1967, when when the surrounding Arab countries said, well, we're finally going to do reverse what happened in 48, and we're going to push the Jews into the sea. Uh, you know, no no warnings from from them then. Uh, they have then progressively uh, shifted entirely to the side of, of, of Palestinians, organized various agencies and means to to demonize Israel, never criticizing uh, Palestinian terrorism, rocket attacks against civilians, bombings of buses and the like. That's one half. The other half is you would think that maybe they're just they're 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 just confused people on a on a universal hunt for justice. But that doesn't quite make it either, because they were conspicuously silent on, let's say, the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia, the suppression of the of of that. They never criticized China, also in nineteen forty eight, for taking over Tibet and and uh, embarking on a campaign of both cultural and sometimes physical annihilation of Tibetans that continues to this day, not a syllable, not a syllable about the mistreatment of the Uyghurs, the, the Muslims in China who've been herded into concentration camps, whose, whose women have been sterilized, all this is happening to this day. And where is the moral outrage? Where's the moral outrage against China for the burning, the shuttering of churches in China? But they have been into a third world dominated new Christianity of liberation theology, which to some of us from the outside just doesn't seem to be what Christians have told us for 2,000 years is the love of Jesus. Ouch! <laughs> this conviction moment brought to you by Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein. <laughs> but it's, it's easy for us to become part of that cancel culture. It's easy for us to have selective outrage. It is a pandemic that is sweeping the world faster than the coronavirus ever could. And this is a very disturbing stance. I mean, to liken to liken Israel to the to demons um, and to to I, I don't know the the marrying of the idea of apartheid and and such very two very separate situations and much like Bernie's outrage not always backed up by the whole story and that's what happens when we have selective outrage we don't hear the other and, side and of what's really this happening is, this is this has become a pandemic in, in its own right, this this dumping on Israel because they haven't delivered vaccines to the other half. Well, it's factually and wrong. Yet they have. <laughs> the, Israel has vaccinated. They they have. Israeli Arabs have been vaccinated uh, at a disappointing rate. Only forty three percent of its citizens over the age of sixty have been vaccinated. But it's now widely understood that it's not because Israel hasn't tried. It's because the Arab population has been more resistant to, to, to being vaccinated. We have lots of those uh, in the United States, I, I will remind you. 
Mm-hmm. So they're, they're not at the 75% that Jewish, uh, and by now it's closer to 100% of, uh, of, of, of Israeli Jews who've been vaccinated, but it's not for lacking of, lack of trying. What they're talking about is, why haven't you sent the vaccine, which you paid for, over to the Palestinians? Well, there's a simple reason, dummies, because the Palestinian Authority signed something called the Oslo Accords. And the Oslo Accords explicitly, explicitly assigned responsibility for health care of those on the West Bank and Gaza to the Palestinian Authority, which announced at the beginning of the pandemic, they're not interested in getting anything from Israel. They'll be fine on their own. They're going to order from Russia. <laughs> now, we're, we're, we're being told, Israel is being told, well, they, they're, they're, they're not being vaccinated and it's your fault. That's sort of like saying that the United States should be held accountable for areas close to the Texas border with Mexico if, if uh, citizens across the border are not vaccinated at the same rate. Hey, Mexico is an independent country. The PA is not quite an independent country, but it has autonomy in certain areas by their own agreement and signature, and they're the ones responsible. They didn't even ask for any vaccine. But of course, it's the fault of the Jews. It's sort of like back to the Middle Ages where, where, where Jews were held accountable for the Black Death. Woo! Rabbi, you're confusing the matter with facts. I'm, it's making people uncomfortable here. But <laughs> I hate it when that happens. You know, I, I, that's what happens when you invite a demon oh. uh, on, onto your show. Ouch, show. ouch, ouch. The, the funny thing to me is that we carry around in our hands, I have right here, my cell phone. Within my hand, within my grasp, 24-7 seven days a week, 365 days a year. I have the wealth of human knowledge at my fingertips, and yet I don't know the whole story. And I'm willing to listen to anything as long as it feeds into a narrative, and that's dangerous. I think that uh, moving forward, especially in the household of faith, I'm not surprised by some of the narratives that we see out there. I am surprised by someone like Bernie Sanders, not by Michael Shea of Saturday Night Live. That's not, by the way, that as you're listening, that's actually not news. It's a parody, okay, just so you know. Don't get those confused. I know it's hard because the news looks an awful lot like that anymore, but Bernie Sanders really mm-hmm. should know better. The, the man was going, wanted to be our president of the United States. He really should know better, and yet he's falling into this narrative. But I think the most disturbing is what we heard from a leader in the World Council of Churches talking about uh, Israel as as though they're this demonic force in the Middle East. Um, And you have issued in a very, very well-written op-ed piece a cry for Christians to say, uh-uh, not in my name. And, and we're, we're sure that there, that there are literally millions, tens of millions of Christians 
who uh, feel that way, uh, they don't always they don't always get up and say it. Uh, some some of them will, particularly people in more conservative churches, and say, "Come on, Rabbi, don't you know the World Council of Churches? Those are, except for the for, for the Catholics, who as Protestants we don't really take them too seriously. These are <laughs> these are churches that have departed from from a from a biblical a biblical sense of Christianity, and uh, we don't take them seriously. I don't care if they're five hundred million of them." And, and and there is something that there that is is probably more of a lesson from Christians than than it is for Jews. That is that um, what what makes Bernie Sanders tick is biblical values that have been stripped of any connection to God. Um, when that oh, happens, and wow! Wait, 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 the, wait! Can you say that phrase <laughs> again? Because that to me yes. is getting to the meat of the feast that is the god story right there boom drop the mic everybody go home and turn off your computer no don't do that because there's more coming but but what you just said is exactly what it's all about will you repeat that forgive me uh sure i uh, what happens is that when people um when people become less religious or or chuck it all together they don't they don't back away from everything, from all the values that their parents and grandparents had, they retain some of them, but without a connection to God. And without that connection to God, values that start off as good biblical values get distorted and maimed and mangled in the process. You can take anything good, and if you don't have the boundaries set by God, you'll make a mess of it. That's really one of the, the, the meta lessons of, of the Bible itself. Man is capable of thinking of a lot of good things, but you need the, the guiding hand of God to set limits and boundaries and tell you how to apply it. So you have, in, in the case of Bernie Sanders and, and others of this ilk, you have kind of a remembrance of things past, of what his great-grandparents may have believed, and he's committed to some of those values. He's chucked everything else about Judaism, but he still believes in things to his credit, like universal justice. But when, but but so did so did the so did the Bolsheviks, and they wound up killing more people than than the medieval church did, uh, because there there are only there are only certain things you can do in the name in the name of religion. Although you can do a lot of horrible things, but you don't you don't get to do what Stalin did. You don't get to do what Hitler did. But when you when you can tell yourself, I'm working for truth and justice, and uh, you know, uh, well, sometimes you have to fight for it, and you have to blow up buses, and uh, you have to send rockets into into kindergartens. That's all. That's all part of the quest for justice. That's a lot of what liberation theology is about, and and the WCC has been a long time endorser, sometimes explicitly, sometimes not, sometimes just de facto of liberation theology mm. and that that's not where lots of other christians are but but what what I'm, I'm hoping and really imploring christians to to understand is why we so desperately need to be linked to scripture and to the word of god and to take it ever more seriously and study it in greater depth there is a scripture verse in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 5, and it says that holding a form of godliness, they're denying the power thereof. And that 
maybe encapsulates what you just said. It's like a form of godliness. And what that reminds me is the story of creation, this man being formed out of the dust of the earth. It's just dirt until it's God-breathed, until the Spirit of God is breathed upon us, until we're infused with what we were created to be infused with. And that's God's direction. That's God's word. Otherwise, we're just a lump of clay. And so are our policies, and so are our our dealings, and so are our politics. It's all just a lump of clay that if, since unfortunately we've abandoned logic and reason in our school system and we don't teach it any longer, if you go down the logical path, that lump of clay crumbles fairly quickly. Yeah, and you've just explained another uh, biblical verse mystery. Uh, in that same creation story, Michelle, we find that um, man is created in the image of God. Uh, what that image of God is has been a matter of contention for a long time. But a 15th century uh, rabbi, Rabbi Avadia Sparno, from the Italian city of Sparno, uh, said, you know, why is it called image of God? Selim. Selim is the Hebrew word, a form, a form, an outline. Of God, right? Why doesn't why doesn't it call a spark of divinity or the presence of God within us? And he says it's because since it's only like an outline and a shape, people can, if they try really hard, they can eradicate it, and they, then Oof. then then there's nothing left for for that spirit of God. So it's not guaranteed that we are all really godly. We we are. We are, but, 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 but we can cast it away. And there are people who are willingly, willfully trying to cast it away because they so much want not to believe because they feel that it'll give them more autonomy and freedom, not knowing that just the opposite happens. And when you think you have autonomy and freedom, but you're acting against the, own, against the, the, the way you're constructed, the owner's manual for the human gadget is the word of God, is the Bible, is listening to those things that, that God set up as the, as the engineer of the project. Uh, and we're just not going to be happy with this, this freedom that we think we can have by, by ignoring or by denying that there's a God who's looking after us and, and holding us accountable, rewarding us for the good things we do and holding us accountable for the bad things that we do. But, but that is the way we were designed to, to act. And you, you, don't, you don't get very far down the road when you decide that it's unfair that you have to pay a couple of bucks of a couple of dollars a gallon for gasoline for your, for your car when you could be poor, when you could be fulfilling it with Coke. Pour Coca-Cola down, your, down your, your, your fuel line and see how far you'll get. Then you may think it's more fair. And I understand why it shouldn't work. <laughs> but it doesn't, because that's not the way the car was designed. And we're designed to follow the instructions of God, not for his benefit. He doesn't need us, but for our benefit, because in his love and his mercy for us, he told us how we're going to live fulfilled lives. I would love to, in our final moments together, bring this back to the celebration of Purim, which uh, is one of my favorites. It's the most one of the most animated and a lot of fun to celebrate with kids, uh, as many Jewish holidays can be. Uh, but this one in particular is kind of it's a, it's animated for people like me. <laughs> so, um, but let's bring it back to. Uh, 
God's protection of those he loves. Um, they, it's never been promised that we wouldn't endure um, hard times, um, needless slams, um, fake news, and and hate. But the deeper story really is um, all that we've shared today and that God really is an active participant in the lives of those that call on him. You, you really nailed it. There, there is a tradition in, uh, among Jews uh, that every time the book of Esther refers to the king, it's a, it's a double entendre. It's, it refers to King Ahasuerus, the Persian king, but it also means the king above, the real king. And that the book of Esther does not contain any reference to any overt miracles. The Tigris and Euphrates don't, uh, don't split to, to, drown, to drown Haman and his cohorts. Mm. Everything is done behind the scenes because the greater way in which God manages the world is not the biblical miracle. There are few of, there are, we believe in them, but they occur on God's timetable at special moments of history. But his working through the natural world, when you can't see him, but you can only detect him in the pattern of the way he's acting, that's something for, for all times. And that's something we have to be conscious of, all of us, as Christians, as Jews, as Muslims, the, the hand of God in controlling the world, even through the world of the ordinary and the natural world. And that, that in, in, in the end, is really the, the message of the, of the book of Esther. And it's the God story that we're sharing today. The most exciting thing about the God story is every issue that we deal with has a deeper story in a way that points back to hope. And that's what I find in God. And in his story today, da 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 da, Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein has been with us. He joins us monthly for a little view from Jerusalem, where he is broadcasting from today. He's the director of interfaith affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He is the author of many wonderful pieces, uh, and. We are going to put a link, of course, to the op-ed that he created dealing with the topic that we took on today. Um, and I want to thank you once again for making time in your busy schedule uh, to spend time with me and my friends listening today, Rabbi. It's a delight. And now uh, channeling uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, I am going to get back and play with my space laser. <laughs> hey, have fun with that we'll get we'll get an update next time thank you rabbi thanks michelle oh what a delightful bye -bye. conversation what a delightful conversation that was thank you yeah it's nice having fun on forum Yes, I love Purim. I really do love celebrating Purim. It's one of my favorites. I'm an actress at heart, so you know I can't get past the you know the the fun of it all. So thanks again, Rabbi. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Michelle. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, don't forget to go to My Michelle Live and find out how you can lose weight 
before the summer gets here. In three months' time from the time you order from Calitrin and start taking that amazing natural, doesn't interfere with any other medication or regime supplement, in three months' time, you'll start to watch weight just melt off. You will enjoy this fountain of youth in a bottle. You'll look younger, feel younger, clarity of mind, so much that comes from Calitrin the collagen supplement. You can get the best deal by going to mymichellelive.com, click on the Calitrin button, and there you go. Boom. Okay, my friend, we're going to wrap up this edition of My Michelle Lives News and Views Thursday. We are very, very new to 100% podcasting. And as we look today at the news of the day, to me, that deeper story that wherever you're at, whatever's going on, whatever peril you may face, being on the right side or being on God's side and having God stand on yours, that's where I want to be as the world seems to crumble around me. If you want to know more about the God story, you can email me. I'll talk to you. You know, just mymichellelive.com and hit that comment section. Send us an email. I'll get it. I'll talk to you. And like this, please share this. Take the URL, copy it, send it in an email. Let uh, folks know at your church, in your Bible studies, your fellowships, wherever you may be. If you are that kind of person that gets in touch with the God story that way. If you are just curious about the God story and you know other people that are that are help us to grow this because the God story is what's going to see us through in these crazy times. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, get in touch with us at My Michelle Live. You can see a lot of these interviews live. I am Michelle Mendoza. Thanks for listening. More news and views at MyMichelleLive.com.